Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. So at this time, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 11. And after you turn there, we're going to start off the study with some more prayer. So Mark 11 and verse 20. That's where we're going to start. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. Your word doesn't fail because it came from a God who doesn't fail. We thank you, Lord, for your eternal word, and your word is eternal because you are eternal. And Lord, we thank you for this time that we get to worship you by studying your word, Lord, by learning more about you and about how you want us to live. And we thank you that you don't just put us out there to live life by ourselves, but you indwell us by your Holy Spirit. So, Father, I do pray for the gift of teaching that I'll be equipped to rightly divide your word of truth. And I pray for each and every one of us in this room tonight that we'll have open and receptive hearts to whatever you want to speak into our lives. But yes, Lord, we do pray that you help us to do it as well. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're in Mark 11, and then we'll be studying verses 20 through 26. And the title of the lesson is Successful Prayers. Successful Prayers. So right now we are looking at a week that many people call Passion Week. And the word passion in this context means suffering. It is the week from Palm Sunday through Resurrection Sunday. This is the week in which Christ will suffer and of course he'll be crucified. And on the Sunday of Passion Week, we've already studied about Jesus's triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. And he entered in on the colt of a donkey or on a young donkey. And so many people realized him as the coming Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament, the king of Israel, the anointed one. And then, of course, on the next day, which would have been the Monday of that Passion Week, we read about Jesus cursing or seeing a fig tree from a distance that had leaves on it, but then it had no fruit when he came closer to that tree. And so then he cursed that fig tree in verse 14 of Mark chapter 11. We also read on that Monday that he went on to cleanse the temple or the temple complex. And it was actually the second time he had cleansed the temple complex because he did that earlier in his ministry in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. And so tonight we're going to continue to learn about what happened 
during the week of Jesus' crucifixion. And then, of course, we're going to learn about prayer in the process. And so we want to really want to tune in and, and learn how to pray successful prayers. And so in these few verses here, it is power packed. There's tons of information. And so we want to be tuned in and be open to whatever God has for us. And so with that being said, we'll look at Mark 11 verse 20, where it says, now in the morning, which would have been a Tuesday, it says, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. This was that same fig tree that Jesus had cursed earlier in that chapter in verse 14. He cursed it because this tree had leaves on it as if it had fruit on it. But of course, there was none. After Jesus gave a closer examination of that tree. So once again, as a reminder, that fig tree in Mark 11 points to the nation of Israel. And so in other words, the nation of Israel was all show with this religion, just like that fig tree was all show with its leaves. But the nation was not bearing the fruit God was looking for. And of course, we especially saw this in the nation's religious leaders. They were doing things outwardly, trying to obey the law outwardly, but didn't have a real relationship with God. And therefore, like this tree that Jesus cursed that was dried up from the roots, those, those religious leaders of Israel and the nation of Israel who didn't believe, they were spiritually dry, fruitless, and useless. But this dried up fig tree from the roots also serves as a picture of the person who is not rooted in Christ Jesus. Because in that person, there is no spiritual life. Because in Jesus is life. And so when we repent and put our faith in Christ, we get the life that is in him, that eternal life. And so that individual will also not be able to bear fruit that pleases God. And so my encouragement to any person who's living at this time, physically living, is to get rooted in Jesus and to get his words rooted in you. I'll say that one more time. Get rooted in Jesus and then get his words rooted in you. So you don't become a dry tree, a fruitless or useless tree. But instead you'll have a vibrant, vibrant relationship with God through Christ Jesus. In Mark eleven twenty one, it says, and Peter remembering said to him, he said to Jesus, Rabbi or teacher, look, the fig tree which you curse has withered away. And in Matthew 21, 20, we like to look there because when we look at the different gospel accounts of the same story, again, we get some blanks filled in. In Matthew 21, 20, it says, 
And when the disciples saw it, when they saw that tree that Jesus cursed, now all dried up from the roots, it says that they marveled. In other words, they were amazed, saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? And so just based on what Peter has said, it shows that he paid attention. He paid attention to what happened in verse 14 when when Jesus said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again to that fig tree. He paid attention. And so I asked the question, are we paying attention to what God has said and done? Just like Peter did, how he paid attention to what Jesus had said to that fig tree. To the point now when he saw that fig tree now dried up on this Tuesday morning, he remembered. And here's the point. We cannot remember what we never paid attention to. So yes, Peter remembered because, again, he paid attention And so paying attention to what God has said and done. And then, of course, remembering those things will help us to get or understand today's lessons that God is trying to teach us. And, of course, it's going to help us in the future as well. So what has God said in his word? What has God whispered in your heart? What has God spoken to you through the mouth of another believer? What has God done in your life? What has God done in the scriptures? Do we remember? Have we paid attention? We need to pay attention to what is in the word of God. Because as we look at 1 Corinthians 10, we we read this in context of uh, speaking of judgments and consequences that happened to the Israelites in the Old Testament. And if you read earlier in that chapter in 1 Corinthians 10, you'll see that. And so with that in mind, the Holy Spirit through the apostle states the following in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. He says, now all these things happen to them, to who? To the Israelites. All those judgments and consequences happen to them as what? As examples. And they were written for our admonition. Or warning, or you could say instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. That's us. We are living in the last days. And so, have we paid attention to God's dealing with the Israelites? Have we paid attention to God's dealing with David? Have we paid attention to God's dealings with King Saul? And all of those famous prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, have we paid attention? And then, of course, are we remembering those lessons? Like the Apostle Peter here in this lesson tonight. And then we turn to verse 22. It says, so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. 
in Matthew 21, 21 says pretty much the same thing, but another part is added and you'll notice it. Matthew 21, 21, it says, so Jesus answered and said to them, assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree that wasn't in Mark, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. Now back to Mark eleven twenty four. Now he says, therefore, I say to you, speaking to his followers, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And so here we see, of course, a, a lesson about faith. It is a faith in God And it's not faith in ourselves. It's also not a faith in faith. In other words, you're not having a faith that if you have enough faith, you can do whatever you want. So it's not faith in yourself or faith in faith. But notice this lesson about faith is about a faith in God. The faith in the same God who can move mountains. But what is faith? Well, we see a description of it in Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So in other words, faith is the assurance or confidence of things hoped for and the conviction or a firmly held belief of things not seen. And what we hope for is something that's still yet future. It is a joyful expectation of coming good. And so it is the assurance. We have confidence that what we hope for, what we are expecting based upon the sure God and the sure word of God, it's an assurance that we're going to receive those things, that what we hope for will come to fruition. But faith is also my conviction and your conviction as a believer that something is real, although I or you do not see it. Oh, we don't, we, we, we know that we've repented and put our faith in Christ. And sometimes we may not feel saved, but based on the word of God, we know we are saved. We know that we are born again based on the word of God because we put our faith in Christ. But we cannot see the born again process. But we should be able to see the effects of it. And that's why Jesus said in John chapter 3 that the wind blows wherever it wants. You can't see it, but of course you can see the after effects of it. And so likewise, we can't see what being born again looks like. We don't see exactly how how the Holy Spirit does that. But we know that it happens because the word of God says it because Jesus said it. And we have confidence that it has happened. And then hopefully we should see the effects of it as we grow in Christ, as, as we begin to see the changes in our lives, that we don't think the way we used to think. We don't believe the way we used to believe. We don't speak the way we used to speak. We don't do the things we used to do. And so is the story with being born again. But with anything that God has promised and we don't see right now, 
It is faith. If we still have a conviction or firmly held belief that we have those things, that those things exist. And as we see here, based on what Jesus is talking about, about speaking to this mountain, we learn that faith says that the impossible in man's sight is possible when we have faith in God. The impossible in man's sight is possible when we have faith in God. That's what we can learn about uh, what Jesus says or from what Jesus says in verse 23 about this mountain. See, this mountain is a huge problem. It's an impossibility for man to move it on his own or for a woman to move it on her own. So the question I ask tonight is what mountain is in your way? Because whatever mountain, whatever problem there is that is in your way, that is in your life, it's not something that God cannot move. It's not something that you cannot speak to if you have faith in God. This, of course, is based on what Jesus says. But this lesson on faith flows into a lesson about prayer. And as we look at verse 24 in in Mark chapter 11, we, we see that Jesus expects us to pray. Because it doesn't say if you pray. It says when you pray. And so we are expected to pray. But we have to ask the question, what is prayer? And many of you already know this, but I'll say it again. This is a refresher for many of you. Prayer is communication with God. And prayer takes on different expressions. It could be praise. It could be adoration or thanksgiving. It can be confession of sin. It could be repentance. It could be petition. In other words, a request that you send to God for yourself, that you give to God for yourself. Or it could be even intercession, which is you praying for others. You see that someone else has a need and you're praying on their behalf. And so prayers can take on those many forms or expressions. And so when we pray, we direct our prayers to the Father in Jesus' name and in the power of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus gave us the model prayer in Matthew 6, beginning at verse 9, our Father who art in heaven. So we direct it to the Father, of course. And we'll explain what it means When we pray in Jesus' name, because it's not some fancy tagline that we add at the end of prayer just to close it. We talk about that later, but of course, in the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're not in the flesh. We're not directed by our flesh. We're not directed by our human nature. We are directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit when we pray, or at least that's how it should be. In verses 25 and 26, it says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses or your wrongdoing. A trespass, by the way, is you overstepping a boundary. See, a sin in general 
to be something that you're not even aware of. It could be a sin of commission. You're actually doing a sin. In other words, you're active in that. Or it could be a sin of omission. Something God told you to do and you don't do it. A trespass, of course, is sin. But it's you knowing exactly what you're supposed to be doing and not supposed to be doing. And then you purposely cross the line. But if you do not forgive, in verse 26, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses or your wrongdoing. And so if we look at all of these verses as a whole that we studied in tonight's lesson, in and, and Mark 11, verses 20 through 26, and then, of course, we combine the lessons about faith and forgiveness, we end up learning more about prayer And since the title of the message tonight is Successful Prayers, the question is, how can we pray those successful prayers? And so this will not be an exhaustive list, what we're going to share tonight, but it's going to be based on what we gleaned from tonight's study in verses 20 through 26. And so the first thing we see about prayer or successful prayers is, first of all, having faith in God. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, you must believe that he is. You must believe that God exists, that he's really there, and that he's also a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the first thing we have to do if we're going to have successful prayers is have faith in God. What sense does it make to pray to somebody who's not almighty, who we don't have faith in as an almighty God, as a God who is in control, as a God with whom there is nothing impossible. So yes, have faith in God, as Jesus says in verse 22. But also we see... A second point here about successful prayers to believe that you'll receive what you're praying for. Oh, here he goes. Here's the rail to name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. Then I have another saying here. When you find a good parking spot, bark it and park it. And so, oh, here goes the rail with that. I'm just repeating what Jesus says. This is the second point. Of how can we pray successful prayers? Believe that you will receive what you're praying for. But check this out. There's some other things to consider. And one thing to consider is making sure that your request, making sure that our request is in God's will. But how do we find out if that request is in the will of God? We read the word of God. We see God's heart in his word. And so that's the easiest way for us to find out what is consistent with his will. And so we see in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, in God, that if we ask anything according to his will, you may want to underline that, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask... 
we know that we have the petitions or the requests that we have asked of him. This is why you want to read through all of the scriptures so you begin to piece everything together. And so that's one thing to consider about point number two, believing that we'll receive whatever we're praying for. Make sure that our request is in the will of God. You know, there are some prayer requests that people write down or uh, people may come up to the front and they may ask for. And I already know that it's in the will of God. And I'm excited about those prayers. I'm excited about all prayers, even those things that you would call great areas. They're not actually in the scriptures. Darrell, should I buy a house at this time? I don't know, but let's pray about it. Ask that the, God, that the Lord will reveal that to you. But there's some things that are really clear in regard to his will. So when somebody asks for prayer and they say, Darrell, can you pray with me to, uh, for God to help me to overcome the weaknesses of my flesh? That's, a, that's in the will of God. Well, can you, can you pray that my peace or my joy will be restored? That is in the will of God. Can you pray for me to have more self-control? That is in the will of God because self-control is a part of the fruit of the spirit. Can you help me to be more loving? When we pray that to the Lord, that is in his will. Lord, can you help me to love my wife as Christ loved the church? I love that prayer because it is in the will of God. But it's up to me to surrender because he didn't make a robot out of me. So I need to surrender to him. He's willing to answer that prayer. And so I like when when people ask for for help. Especially in things that we know is in the will of God. So you want to read the scriptures. But also about this second point. Of believing that you'll receive what you're praying for. You want to make sure that whatever you are requesting is consistent with his character. Consistent with his character. And this is where we come to praying in Jesus' name. Because when we pray in Jesus' name, one thing that's going on is that we are praying by or with his authority. We are also, and these are in my own terms, we are praying with his good credit. Spiritually speaking, we have bad credit. Jesus has good credit. He's perfect. He completely fulfilled the Father's will. And so we are using his good credit when we say in Jesus' name. But also... It implies that we're able to come to God because of what? Because we are in Christ. Just like Noah and his family was in the ark and they were safe in that ark. We are safe in Christ. And we can come to the Father. And so whatever righteousness is in Christ's life, that's what God sees in us because we are in him. God the Father views us through the lens of the perfect Christ. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, it implies that we're able to come to God because we're in him, that we have a relationship with Christ. But here's where this point comes to a head because it also implies that when we pray, 
When we pray in Jesus' name, it implies that we're going to pray for things that are consistent with Jesus' character. So when Jesus was on earth ministering before, of course, he died and was resurrected and ascended back to the Father. Now he's at the right hand of the Father. Would he pray for that? And so as we think about that point and believing that you'll receive it, we think about that point. Is it consistent with Jesus' character? Think about that next time when we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, help me to find a way to cheat on my taxes. Would you think Christ would pray that prayer? Is that consistent with God's character? Lord, help me to come up with a better lie or better way of deceiving somebody. That's not a part of his character. Lord, help me to have what you say I ought not to touch. That's not consistent with his character. But that's what it implies when we pray in Jesus' name. Is it consistent with his character? But also, of course, we want to be in fellowship with the Lord. When we talk about that point, the point of believing you receive what you're praying for. Are we in fellowship with him? John 15, 7 says that if you abide, if you abide in me, you're connected to me. And Jesus, of course, is a true vine. And it says that my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So if you're hanging out with Jesus all the time, if you're connected to him, if you're in fellowship with him, you'll know how to pray according to his will. You'll know how to pray things that are in accordance with his character. But then there's something else to consider about this point. Believe that you will receive what you're praying for. Something else to consider. And for this one, I'd like to point your attention to verse 25 in Mark 11. Because it says, whenever you stand praying, whenever you stand praying. Now, first and foremost, I want to address this point about the position of prayer. Because our physical position in prayer doesn't matter when it comes to believing that we'll receive what we're praying for. Because there's a scripture about Jesus looking up, looking up, lifting up his eyes to heaven. And there's another scripture about a person who couldn't even look up to God, couldn't even look up to heaven. So he didn't look, his, he didn't look up there. He kept his eyes down, probably bowed his head. And there's scriptures about lifting up holy hands. And there's scriptures about kneeling with the hands spread up to heaven. I believe King Solomon did that and laying prostrate, laying flat on the ground, pretty much. And so I bring up that point in verse 25 about when you stand praying, because it's not about your physical position of whether or not you're going to receive what you're praying for, but it's the position of your heart. And that's why you notice when I say, let's, let's pray together, I say, let us all bow our hearts. Because it is the position of your heart. So what is the position of your heart when you pray? 
Has it been filled with pride lately? Has it been filled with inappropriate anger lately? Has it been filled with impure motives or has it been filled with pure motives when you go to God believing that you're going to receive what you're praying for? Because James 4 and 3 says that you ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss. You ask in the wrong way. You ask with a bad motive so that you can spend it on your pleasures. In other words, so it's all about you. So what is the position of our heart? Is it one of humility? Is it like that tax collector in that one story that Jesus told? Remember the story he told about the Pharisee and the tax collector praying and the Pharisee was like, I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector over there. But then the tax collector, the publican, all he could do was look down. He couldn't even lift his eyes up. He knew he was a sinner. He beat his chest. He knew he didn't deserve the goodness of God, the blessings of God. That's humility. Do we have hearts that are filled with humility? Is that the position of our heart when we pray? Is it filled with pure motives? So these are things we need to consider. The position of our heart. Before we can pound our fists and say, I believe it and I'm going to receive it. But then getting back to the big points. Because the main question is, how can we pray successful prayers? And so the third major point is, don't doubt. In other words, don't be uncertain. And I see this in verse 23 of Mark 11. Don't doubt, don't be uncertain because the scriptures tell us that a double-minded man, a double-minded person is unstable. If you want to turn to James 1 verses 5 through 8, in context, of course, this is talking about wisdom, approaching God to ask him for wisdom. But you can also fill in anything in here that we go to God for and request something. But James 1, 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. He gives to all generously and without reproach. In other words, he won't criticize you. He won't scold you or rebuke you. And it says, and it will be given to him. But look at that next part. But let him ask in faith without what? Without doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And it says in verse 8 of James 1, he is a double-minded man. He's unstable in all his ways. And so that's that major point to how to pray successful prayers is to don't doubt. Don't be that double-minded person. Either, either you trust God or you don't. Either you believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him or you don't believe that. But then you come to this major point in prayer. And that is to forgive. And you find that in verses 25 and 26 of Mark chapter 11. And so, by the way, it is expected of Christians to forgive. 
It's expected. Ephesians 4.32 says this. It says, and be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Forgive one another. It's a commandment. It's expected of us to forgive. But Pastor Durrell, what if we don't forgive others? Where it says in verse 26, but if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses or your wrongdoings. And so exactly what is verse 26 implying? Well, first of all, it is not implying that we need to do that work in order to receive salvation. It's not saying only if you do this will you be saved. Because the scriptures are clear in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're saved by grace through faith. Salvation is a gift that we receive. And so it's not telling us a way that we earn salvation. But also... It's not talking about a loss of salvation because he's talking to believers. Darrell, how do you know he's talking to believers? Because he says, your father in heaven. Now, you are not a child of God just because you're born physically. You become a child of God and you can call him your heavenly father when you are born again. Read John chapter 1 verse 12. When you have faith in Christ, to those he gave the right to become a child of God. And so Jesus is talking to believers here. So it's not talking about loss of salvation either because it's your father in heaven. And so it is implied that the people he's talking to has a relationship with God, the father. So then we have to get to. The real heart of the matter. What is he talking about then? He's talking about fellowship with him. He's talking about broken fellowship. You can have broken fellowship with members in your family, but they're still your family. You can have broken fellowship with your spouse, but they're still your spouse. But then you ask each other for forgiveness and you're back on the same page. In other words, you're back in fellowship again. But the relationship was never lost. And so this is talking about fellowship. And so if we are not forgiving people, it's going to affect our fellowship with God. And according to that verse and according to what we read in in Galatians chapter 6, you reap what you sow. And so if you want to be harsh and not forgiving... They don't expect to receive that from God in your walk. It would have happened as a result of broken fellowship with God. If you're not forgiving people who offended you, your prayers are going to be hindered. That's a part of broken fellowship. Still his child. But you have your, your prayers hindered. You're going to miss out on blessings. There'll be a hindrance of blessings. And so, husbands, by the way, there's something else that can hinder our prayers. And that is not dwelling with our wives with understanding. That's something else that's in the scriptures. And so we want to be forgiving people. And it makes sense for us who have received Christ, who have appropriated that forgiveness 
that was made available to all mankind on the cross for us who enjoyed that forgiveness of God because of that shed blood of Jesus who nailed everything that was written against us to the cross and his blood stains wipes away everything that was written against us. Those of us who enjoy that, that privilege of being forgiven people, we ought to be people who are forgiving. We ought to extend that forgiveness. In other words, when we forgive other people, do you know who you're being like? You're being like your father in heaven. And so forgiving others is not how you become a child of God. But when we forgive others, it demonstrates that we are already a child of God. And it prevents our prayers from being hindered. It prevents our fellowship with God from being hindered. And so that's point number four for how to pray successful prayers. But I'd like to ask a question tonight before we leave. The question is, are we praying like we ought to? Are we praying the way we should be praying or are we worrying? Matter of fact, are we complaining instead of praying? Or are we trying to fix things on our own instead of praying to the God of the universe? Instead of praying to the God who holds all things together. And if he's able to hold the whole universe together, what makes you think he cannot hold your life together? Are we praying to that God, that God of the Bible? Or are we worrying? Are we complaining? Are we blaming other people? Are we taking matters into our own hands? Are we putting our hopes and our faith in this person or that person? Or are we putting our hopes and our trust and our faith in the government or in this world system? Or even in money? As the worship team takes the stage. So when we pray to God, what is it showing? It is showing that we trust him. When we pray to God, that's one thing that it shows that we trust him. Another thing that it shows when we pray to God is that we are depending on him. And as children, that's what we should be doing. We should be depending on our heavenly father, just like my biological children depended on me at one point. They're grown out except for one. But those children depend on the parents, and we should depend on our Heavenly Father, and that's what prayer shows. But Darrell, aren't there some things that God is going to do regardless of prayer? Yes, but there's also some things that God wills to do through prayer. And there's some things that you are hindering God from doing, not that he's not all-powerful, but because he wills to do some things through prayer, and he's waiting on you to pray and you refuse to pray. You're hindering that blessing that you could be seeing or experiencing. And so are we going to trust and depend on the trustworthy God to take care of us in unstable times? Are we going to trust and depend on a trustworthy God in an unstable world? 
Are we going to trust and depend on a trustworthy God in an unstable country, in an unstable environment, in an unstable community or school or workplace? Going to put our faith in him. Are we going to go to him in prayer to bring stability to our lives in a situation or environment of instability? Are we going to trust him to do that? Are we going to trust God, the trustworthy God, to help us to deal with unstable people? I'm not talking about mental illness. I'm talking about people who are unstable spiritually. You're going to come across those people. I used to be one of those people. But are you going to go to God in prayer, trusting in him, depending on you, depending on him to help you? To deal with those people, to love on those people. And so more than ever, we're going to need some prayer. We're going to need to be prayer warriors. We see what's going on. We saw what was going on last year. We see what's going on this year. We know what the scripture says. We know that the tribulation period is coming. We should be people of prayer and not complainers. Not people who's going to be warriors, but instead be warriors. That is prayer warriors. Amen. At this point of the night, we're going to go into communion. And you may have noticed the tray at the front and in the back. And so on Wednesday nights, of course, we do communion a little differently. And so, you know, as you feel moved by the spirit, you want to either come here or to the back. You want to get the elements. There's two cups. They're stacked. You want to take both of them, take it back to your seat, and then you want to pray on your own or pray with with your spouse, and then partake on your own. But first, I want to do this. Just want to let people know that communion is for the believer. And when we partake of communion, we are remembering what Christ has done. When we partake of that bread or that cracker, we are remembering the body that was broken for us, that was beaten, that was abused for us. And Jesus did that out of obedience to the will of the Father. Although he knew that pain was coming because of the joy that was set before him, the scriptures tell us, it says that he endured the cross. And so as we partake of that bread, we remember that body that was broken for us. As we partake of that cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ, we, we remember that blood that was shed for us. That blood that washed away all the handwriting that was written against us. The life of the flesh is in the blood, so his life poured out from him. And so that's what we remember. And so as we partake of communion, we want to do it with reverence. With the high respect for Jesus, for what he has done. We want to do it with the heart of gratitude. We want to be thankful, in other words, for what he has done. It is also a time of examination. Lord, is there anything, any sin in my life right now that I need to, re- that I need to confess and repent of? 
He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It tells us in 1 John chapter 1. So if there's anything, confess it. He'll forgive you. Fellowship with him restored. That quickly. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you for all the prayers you've answered. And Lord, help us to learn how to pray in your will. Help us to learn how to pray more in your spirit, to be in tune to your Holy Spirit, that we won't pray anything with impure motives, that we won't pray anything that is against or different from the character of Christ. So help us, Lord, to have better prayer lives in 2021, Father. And Lord, we do thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. And we thank you also for the resurrection. Because your resurrection or Jesus' resurrection serves as a receipt that you, Father, have received his sacrifice on our behalf. So we thank you, Lord. And so we serve a living Savior. And so as we partake of communion tonight, Father, we pray that you bless it. And I pray that you bless every saint in this building, Lord. And that once again, as I prayed earlier, that they'll leave here better than when they came in, Lord. That the discouragement will be lifted. That the agitation in their hearts will be lifted. That the hearts of ingratitude will be changed to hearts of gratitude. That their The minds that are racing and worrying will be at peace. That those, Lord, who are looking for direction will receive direction. And may you bless them, Lord. Protect them on the way back home. And use them in a mighty way this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So just want to thank you all for coming out. God bless you. May God keep you. If any of you need prayer after communion, we'll be up here at the front, willing, ready, and able to pray with you. We love you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.